Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Welcome to the Action Catalyst. This is Dan Moore, and today I have the privilege of hosting Chase Jarvis. You know, he started out as a student athlete, a top student athlete, playing Division I soccer at San Diego State. And he went from being one of those fighting Aztecs to being an award-winning artist, entrepreneur, teacher, and business leader, and known as one of the most influential photographers anywhere on the planet. Forbes magazine, in fact, said he is the photographer everyone wants to work with. Chase has contributed, created campaigns for Apple, for Nike, for Red Bull, many others, and was a contributor to the Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times story, Snowfall. He also earned an Emmy nomination for his documentary called Portrait of a City. He's the creator of Best Camera, which was the very first photo app that would allow people to share images on social networks. And he's also the founder of Creative Live. More than 10 million students learn photography, video, design, music, business, and receive inspiration from the world's top creators and entrepreneurs. He's a keynote speaker, a sought-after advisor to Fortune 100 brands, and he's been a guest at, well, shall we say, many very special places around the world. We will not go into them right now. So Chase Jarvis, welcome to the Action Catalyst. Thank you so much for letting me be on the show. It's a privilege to be on it and uh, excited to connect with you all in the community. Well, that's just great. I wonder if you could share a bit a bit of your story, how, how you went from being a top student and an athlete at San Diego State. I know you did graduate work at Seattle, but sort of the main the main pivots that that took you from from artist to business person and and developer of people. Sure, uh, I think there's a couple of um, pivots that are key. One is, was an early, you know, the the, the book that I wrote uh, that I'm I'm excited to share with the world that drops here shortly. Is, is around creativity. And I think one of the really early pivots for me was when my second grade teacher told my mom in a student conference that, wow, you know, what, you know, uh, Chase is much, uh, much better at sports than he is at art. And, uh, and I overheard that comment. And, um, of course we'll talk a little bit later that creativity is about much more than art. It's, it's fundamental to who we are as humans. And that's the, the key premise of the book, but that's in part to your, your uh, point about me pursuing a career in, uh, you know, as a soccer player, I went to soccer on a soccer scholar, I went to college on a soccer scholarship. Uh, it, it really was conditioning from an early age that said, Oh, if you're, you should go do this because it's something that cultural culturally is really popular and, and, who wouldn't go to college on a soccer scholarship if you could, or wouldn't play, play pro sports if you could. And so I was sort of conditioned to head down that path. Of course I had some natural ability, but uh, it's, I think it's interesting and we'll circle back on why that was key and pivotal. And I was, you know, basically programmed from a very early age, what I was and what I wasn't, what was possible for me and what was not possible. So um, through my childhood and youth, I, I, always identified as more of an athlete because of that programming. And it was really in that, you know, young adulthood, when you start to think about your identity and, and who are you and what are you, uh, while I was born white and male in America, um, I did come from a lower 
middle class family. So economically, I may have been a little bit disadvantaged, but even though I had virtually every advantage, deciding what I wanted to do with my life and the fabric of what was thought to be possible was largely constructed by everyone else. Hmm. So I think it's a, it's a really key piece of the book that I want to talk about and also about my particular story is that I started out living everybody else's plans for me for a really long time. And although that, you know, there's a lot of my early bio is said he dropped out of medical school. He did like, those were things that I didn't really want for myself, that, that those were cultural pressures that I was, um, I guess, just aware of and sort of succumbed to as a young adult, when you're trying to find your way in the world. And, uh, you know, that's part of, um, as you say, my story is acknowledging those and finding a way to break through what I would consider sort of a limiting set of beliefs or a set of stories that we tell ourselves about who we are, who we have to be, what we're possible, what's possible with our lives. So um, that being said, I, at some point as a young adult, shortly after, um, after college, uh, I guess, sorry, the week before my college graduation, my grandfather dropped out of a heart attack, completely unforeseen by anyone thought to be really reasonably healthy. And in a blink, he was gone. And the silver lining to that was I was gifted his cameras. Hmm. It, was, it was one of those like tinkerers that had all the new stuff and he loved it. And he was just very much a hobbyist. Both he and my father were hobbyists. And, and yet I was given his cameras on his death. And I had always been since back in that second grade classroom, very, you know, curious. I loved performing. I loved magic. I loved, uh, art as a kid, but I was told I wasn't good at it. Well, this gave me a chance to basically, you know, with my heart cracked wide open, just pursue something that was for me, just as an aside, not all the other professional and, and other aspirations that everyone had for me. So um, it was on a, I, I'd saved up all the money that I had. I got a little bit from my grandfather's passing and I maxed out a credit card to go travel through Europe and just find some some, some time. And while that isn't required and that could be considered clearly a luxury, um, I ate beans and tuna fish for six months to figure out how to, to just tap into a different part of myself. Um, soon thereafter, I realized that I was very passionate about photography and the, I pursued that career, that, that as a uh, casual hobby for some time, ultimately, when you do things that you're supposed to do and, and your intention and your, your intuition line up with, with your skill set and what you have passion around, it becomes easy. And so there was this section that I call like effortless hard work, where when you're doing things that you're, you feel good doing, you're willing to put in work. And um, I just I found my path um, as a photographer and my poor parents, right? When you drop out of um, playing soccer professionally drop out of medical school and bail on a PhD in philosophy to become a photographer. It was a little bit of a head scratch for everyone in my life, but that's part of what this life requires of us that we occasionally disappoint people who love us the most. And, you know, my book creative calling tries to help create a pathway where that isn't, isn't as hard and helps you see the upside of doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing rather than the script that everybody else has written for you. Um, I basically just pulled on that thread, became a photographer, and has transitioned that into a life as an entrepreneur, building the largest platform in the world for creators and entrepreneurs, Creative Live, which you mentioned. And it's basically for people to pursue the things that they wanted to do with their lives. And 
dispose of the script that everybody else has written for us. So that's where the world's top creators and entrepreneurs, people like Richard Branson and Tim Ferriss and Brene Brown and, and a thousand or so other teachers come to share their wisdom. Um, so the book creative calling is basically a look back at why is, why this matters. What is the power that creativity has and the creativity, not just in the sense of art, but in the sense of our ability to create anything for ourselves and for the people we love and ultimately create the life and the living that we want for ourselves. It's a fantastic concept. And I really appreciate what you said about how others' plans and expectations often shape people. Some people never break free of that. Never, never. And I, I, I think it's fair to say, I hope there's some listeners and watchers right now that are saying, wow, I didn't do that thing because my dad said I needed to do something that was practical and, or, you know, whatever the fill in the blank, you just, none of us are immune to it. And I think that's a really important, even though I had most of the advantages that you could have at birth, even like the country that I was born into the time that it was still the hardest thing I've ever done is decide to disappoint what are essentially, especially as a young adult, and maybe even more so as a as a mature adult, when you have a mortgage and kids and all these other things that the courage to um, take, take your life and shape it in a way that's meaningful to you, where, you know, ultimately in the short term, it's painful, but in the long term, like the people and the, the things that are closest to you, they will ultimately benefit enormously from that transition that you're able to make because Regret is a powerful thing. And the words practical, it's like, we're not really ever told what we should do. We're just told we shouldn't do those whimsical, naive things that, um, that society at whatever time says we shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're given a list of things that you should do. And by and large, the, if there was a list, most of the things on that list don't actually exist anymore because they had to do with going to great college and getting a great education and then getting a job and, the, you know, do that for 40 years, and then get the gold watch. And that's just not how it is anymore. Culture has moved on. Um, there are jobs today that didn't exist even five and 10 years ago. Um, and the reality is that that's the future. The future is dynamic. And more now than ever before, we're capable of writing our own script. And I would say that it's not only are we capable, but that's actually where you get the best results out of your life. And when you're feeling 11 out of a 10, the people in your life around you that you're currently worried about disappointing, they'll actually go along for that ride and, and the rising tide then floats off boats. Yep. Then they scratch their head and say, I still don't understand it, but he sure seems happy and he's doing well at it. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Which is great. Um, in creative calling, I think one of the, the ideas you put is an acronym based on idea and you speak of that. Imagine design. Can, can you share a little bit of that with us? Sure. That's the foundational structure of the book. And what that aims to be is a repeatable process. Uh, I came to know this process from my own experience. Anytime I found success in life, um, I, I have looked back and said, what were the common characteristics? And on my, my um, YouTube channel, my interview series, my podcast called Chase Jarvis Live, I've interviewed the world's top creators and entrepreneurs like the names that I mentioned earlier. And it just so happened that, that, that the common thread in their successes ultimately boiled down to this, this framework that I was thinking about for myself. And as you mentioned, it's, it's 
based on the concept of idea, I-D-E-A. Um, and it's very simple. It works for any creative project, for any plan uh, where you want to create something out of nothing, whether it's a business, a cake, uh, or the life for yourself. Um, and that is imagine what's possible. This is the I. Imagine what you want in the world, what you want from this project, this day, anything. And you see it in your mind. Then you have to design a set of um, things that can get you there. Then you execute again. Then you basically design a plan. And then you execute against that plan. That's the E. And then A, this is a really key part. You, you amplify that, what it is you want to see and be in the world, where you want to go, the results of your product or your project. And that's a huge piece of community. And whether we like it or not, whether you're introverted or extroverted, we're all social animals. And so human connection, if a baby does not, isn't coddled when they're born, they die. So it's, it's not a nice to have. It's a fact that human connection is, is required. And so my belief, the belief of the book and, and what this is common between my experience and the top performers that I've spent time with over my life is that there's a large amount of energy placed into creating connection with other humans such that when you launch this product or share what you've built or want to bring someone else on, on the ride with you, whether that's your spouse, your partner, or your fans on Instagram, that there's someone there to connect with and to share in the joy of whatever project you've made. So again, imagine, design, execute, and amplify is, is the framework. And those are also the four acronymic parts of the book. And there's a few chapters about each in, in there. That's fantastic. And the book comes out uh, about a week after this will air. So we're all looking Perfect. forward to it. You can Perfect. share a bit more about it. Um, if this drops and you buy the book now, it's like pre-orders matter, but it will arrive. It should arrive at your doorstep on the 24th. That's, I think they ship slightly before that. So um, yeah, it's, I'm learning all this stuff. This is my first real big book. So well, it, it's interesting because that leads me to, to a question. You could have just remained a photographer, highly prized, sought after, very successful. Something in you prevents you from being complacent. Something in you moves you to the next challenge, to the next opportunity. How, how do you keep your edge instead of just coasting? Hmm. There's two things, I think. Uh, one is a creativity is so fundamental and we've been sold a lie that it's for the, the cherished few or that it's, it's some weird esoteric thing when reality creativity is the most practical thing. It's as fundamental as nutrition, as exercise for the human body. We are creating machines. And so when I first started realizing that I could create, and this I really realized this as, a, as an eight-year-old, I, did a, I made a little film on an eight-millimeter I washed cars to, to be able to afford the film. One of my buddy's brothers was the camera person. We wrote a small script and we screened it in our neighborhood. Um, and, and we actually made money on the film. Hmm. So we charged admission. We sold candy bars. And the film is terrible. I do have it. Um, <laughs> it's called The Sons of Zorro. We had little masks and costumes and and why I'm recalling the story is because as, as that little person who made that film and I really, I asked myself as soon as we were finished screening, it, it's like, wow, could I just, could this be my life? Just, could it be this joyful to be able to make things and share them with the world? And when I fast forward to now and talk about what continues to drive you, it's really uh, understanding the power that creativity has and not just art. Again, it's, 
creativity is combining anything, two things to make something new, whether it's a business, a cake, uh, anything. When you think of it through that lens and you think of your childhood self and the dreams and aspirations that you had, my first, the first thing that drives me, and I would encourage the listeners and watchers here to think about like at the end of the day or all of our days, regret is a very, very powerful thing. And go back to the concept that we were just riffing on about like, um, you know, doing things that bring you joy and the relationship that you have with others. A huge motivator for me is not wanting to disappoint that, that young child that had, that saw so much for himself as a, as a young person and ignoring, this is what it ultimately boils down to ignoring that you are a creating machine that you can create anything for yourself whether it's a project or a life, denying that, denying your creativity is really denying that very, very, when you're alone with yourself at night, three in the morning, staring at the ceiling, it's denying that part of you. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a very powerful motivator to not want to be. And this is the number one um, regret of the dead or the dying. And, you know, there's a lot of research. It's, it's that they listen too much to what everybody else wanted for their one precious life. So in, in some ways that is, that has been my chief motivator. It's really something I've only come to understand through looking backwards and connecting the dots in my own life. But now it's, it is, it's, it's quite real. And what we really do is we, we um, distract ourselves and harm ourselves and, um, so that we don't have to think about that really hardcore reality. And we use things like, oh, my mortgage, my kids, all these practical concerns. But at the end of the day, like there really is just one shot. And so let's make it something that we love. Now, the second part of my answer comes, it's related to the first, but a, a big shift for me after having a really successful career in photography and arguably being in the peak of my game um, is that I was caught in an avalanche that by every measure I should not have survived. I was in Alaska shooting an ad for Nike. Um, and by, by every measure I should be dead. And it's a little bit trite. It's a little bit cliche, but when you come that close to death and you feel like you have cheated it, I did take stock. And I realized this point that I was making rather ambiguously and what sounds like idealistically um, you know, in the previous part of my answer in the front part of my answer, but now when you actually almost die, it reframes things in a very meaningful way. Mm. And so for me, uh, it was the lens of not just what could I do more? And this doesn't mean go bungee jumping and have a bucket list. And it's less about that. It's just like, what truly talks to you? And for me, what truly spoke to me is the, the, the fact that I had had this opportunity to after figuring out how to disappoint others and that ultimately that disappointment would change to pure joy and that I could bring everyone in my life along with me and that it actually had a huge net positive that I wanted to provide that gift for others. So that's one of the reasons that I did the first iPhone app that shared photos to social networks that went on to, to be the app of the year. And that's why creative live was invented um, is to help, you know, tens of billions of people pursue their calling and, and ultimately why I wrote the book. These are all very related. The book is very much about the why. Why does our calling in life and our own creativity, why does it matter? And, you know, the book is also basically a guidebook on how to make that happen. And it's very, it's very practical. These ideas sound big, but the book is, is quite practical and actionable. Well, even just your four-letter acronym 
is something anybody can take on board and apply. Yeah, immediately. And if you look at like there isn't a thing in the world that's really been accomplished or that's rather sustainably accomplishable that doesn't have a you know that sort of a framework. It may take a different shape slightly, mm-hmm. but you know this was a, just a common thread for my experience and the experience of the the top performers that I've had a good good opportunity to spend a large part of my life around. Absolutely. That's so great, Chase. Now, we talked a lot about the trajectory and decisions you made in your life. Have you ever been trucking along where everything's really smooth and then, bam, up against a brick wall, completely unanticipated that just knocked you back? And how do you, how do you cope with that? Um, I think it's really important to not place uh, what my friend Brene Brown um, if you don't know her work, you need to. She's an amazing woman. She's got an amazing Netflix special and number one New York Times bestselling author of so many books I can't count them. She calls it gold-plated grit. And I think in these conversations and, and interviews like this, and even in, in, in life and in, in books, certainly, it's, it's really easy to just spend a quarter of a second on the stuff that was hard and the rest of the time being inspirational and talking about everything that was good. And I'll tell you that I haven't found good results from a book that tells you how to build a business where you do everything perfectly from A to Z. Step A is, and you just execute flawlessly a long time along the, the, the timeline, which is, that's just not how life works. Yet that's how 90% of the books are written. That's what all of the, you know, the exception might be the hero's journey in film. We do see the hero struggle a little bit, but I'll, I'll say that, um, you know, to directly answer your question, my life, I've done everything wrong that you could do. I went, you know, I probably was $100,000 in debt and student loans from following everyone else's advice that I should go be a doctor. Mm-hmm. When I wasn't, I was not in my future. I knew it from day one. And yet I was trying not to disappoint everyone else. And when you run smack dab into $100,000 with the student debt and they say, you owe this much and you just dropped out because you couldn't handle it. It was torture. You don't have a job. You owe a hundred grand. And it's the only debt that's not forgivable through bankruptcy. Student loans is a huge farce, 1.5 trillion, more debt than credit card debt in our country. Like that is a real curveball. Mm-hmm. My grandfather dying, that is a real curveball. These and and my life in the book, for example, Creative Calling is chock full of these things. So this is not some like series of platitudes. This is like how to deal with real life struggles when not when things are perfect. And not when you, um, it's about how to gracefully disappoint the people in your life and bring them along. And that, that ultimately that, that flipping of the script will be the thing that brings you closer together and will bring you more personal power than any of the things that your career counselor told you, or any of the things that you get from the, maybe from the current job that you get that you're, if you're questioning, if it's for you, it's not. Yeah. You know, you know, that's a, that's a, I think it's an interesting, it's easy for somebody else to say, because I'm not in your head right now, but having been in the, you know, along for the ride on several other people and and my own experience, I know that, that, that intuition is part of ourselves that we're taught to ignore. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of science that's emerging. It talks about how slow and full of bias our rational mind is. And we talk about our gut feeling it's because you don't, it's not because it's not coming from your brain. It's coming from your cells and your cells have stored all kinds of information. Every experience you had as a child, all of the things you've seen this before, but your, your, your body is taking in billions of pieces of data, but we're only paying attention to a little bit of it because I don't need to know what you know, the back of my thighs feel like on my jeans right now. I, if I think about it, I can feel them. But if, 
10 seconds ago, I was thinking about that. That would have been the wrong thing to think about. So we have this intuition of what we should be doing, what we shouldn't, and we're taught to ignore it. So this is a book about, and it's not sort of weird woo-woo-y. This is like very practical and actionable. And, you know, to your point, I think that's part of, I think, modern culture and the new world that we're living in is if we could just realize that this is not a whimsical thing, that this is the most practical and helpful um, approach to navigate life. And, you know, you've heard on, if you've ever taken an airplane, there's a safety speech at the beginning, which is like, put your own oxygen mask on before assisting other passengers. Right. And you know, this is not that, this is not dissimilar, except it's in a more of a life strategy as opposed to a uh, plane crash. Well, that makes sense. You know, in, in the Bible, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the most important part is that as yourself, because without that, how can you love your neighbor? There you go. We got to take care of ourselves. It's so important. This is fantastic, Chase, just uh, getting the feeling from you where you talk about combining passion and aptitudes and skill sets where, yes, it's hard work, but that's gets you through those inevitable down points. Yeah. Listening to your gut saying it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it because this is what you're meant to do. And and we've been told that we shouldn't do that. The concept of enduring and the concept of pushing through. And while those are nice things for cliched office walls, the reality is that we have this inner wisdom. And when we listen to that and when we we're, have the courage to stumble and to be imperfect and to be vulnerable yet do it in the thing that we're supposed to be doing and not denying our own creativity mm. that, that that there's this, I talk about it in the, the, the book in terms of two different things. One is you hear the call. It's a, it's a whisper sometimes and you don't even know exactly where it's coming from, but you can hear it. And we are taught to ignore it because it's not about, you know, going to school, starting at first grade, sitting through all of the sit down, shut up, use a number two pencil, raise your hand. And then the same thing in the corporate world, like go to work, go to, go to school, go to work, get a job, 40 years, the gold watch. When you start to ignore those things, not out of spite, but out of the, just a simple question, like, wait a minute, does this actually meet with my reality? Or do I realize that this is just a simple, and there's no puppet master telling you to do these things, right? This is a, it's just culturally, it's easier. And there's like the concept of not even swimming against the tide, just swimming sideways sounds hard enough, especially when you've got a mortgage and a bunch of kids. But when you realize that that actually is a narrative that we're telling ourselves, that is just through your own limited experience, when you listen to that call, you hear it, you listen to it, it's there. How has it been in your life when you've been doing the things that you love with people you love? What does life feel like? Just simply, it feels great. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if we can continue to attune to that, then we're what I call we're on the path and no path is a straight line. Even if it starts straight, it goes all over the place. And this concept of the path and the, the call, whether it's a whisper, there are no maps, there's only a compass and that compass, you know, a compass is really imperfect. It's just like giving you a general direction where you're going. And that's what I believe you know, the best things in life are when we put those two things together, hearing that call and, and walking that path, doing the things that, you know, here and here, not just here, here and here, mm-hmm. you're supposed to be doing how much 
A, personal power you get, and B, how much the rest of our lives are unlocked um, and freed up for spending time doing the things you love with people that you love on things that matter. Right. And you said walking the path, not watching the path. <laughs> Correct. Correct. And and we do see that. And, and you know, it's, it's very easy to look at others and say, how are they doing that? Or people that you admire, whether they're authors or TV stars or, or someone in your community. It's some combination of what I'm talking about here. And I'm not trying to be overly prescriptive, but I'm saying that these things matter. And then of, you know, talking to hundreds of individual top performers and, you know, millions of people through creative live, this is a really common thread, you know, and I distill it down to our own innate ability to create something, whether it's a small project or our lives, like we're the boss, we have agency and let's recognize that start to experience it in small ways because it's the same muscle, the same muscle that helps you build a cake or start a business is the one that programs the life that you want. So you might as well develop that muscle. Mm-hmm. So on target. I'm always curious when I, when I speak with people that have a creative bent, do you have a, a general way you start your day? Uh, either the way you think first thing in the morning, actions you take, how do you start your day? Uh, I love the question because it took me a lifetime, virtually a lifetime to figure out that starting every day was so key. And, um, it has a lot to do with very simple start to every day. And that involves not checking my phone first thing, not basically signing up for the agendas of everyone else in my life, the first thing. Mm. And, and so I have a, a morning routine. It's documented in the book. It's also a, an aggregate of, again, so many of my friends that I've mentioned in, in, uh, in our conversation here. And that's also a very common thread. It's like spending some time with yourself, whether it's journaling, even for two or three minutes or some sort of visualization, meditation, prayer, even making your own bed like that as a simple action. That's that you've started and completed something. No one can take that away from you, even if it's the first two or three minutes. And by contrast, like sometimes we learn things best by contracts. What's the opposite of that? laying in bed, looking at your email, realizing your boss wants you to do something that wasn't in your schedule, that now is a conflict. You have to tell him it's your kid's birthday because you can in. Is he going to think this or is she going to think that? Like That is immediately like, how are we supposed to live our highest calling life if for the first 15 minutes of any day, we're just you know pushed out of a, what feels like we're pushed out of a third story window. And, and so my mornings are all very much about carving carving out enough time to perform the things that I know put me in a great headspace. And I think, you know, there are practical considerations like, Oh, I got the, I got to get the kids up and I got to get them off to school and I, or whatever practical consideration you might be envisioning for yourself right now. And I'm here to say that th- those are real, but what would 20 minutes earlier, if you woke up 20 minutes earlier, have what, what, what effect could that possibly have on your life before the kids get up? Or you just could orient around the things that are meaningful to you. And, you know, I use kids. It's one practical example, but there are hundreds of others. And we tell ourselves stories about why something is not possible. And all I'm asking you to do is experiment in a very imperfect, messy way. Mm-hmm. Don't set yourself up to, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to meditate for 30 minutes and I'm going to only eat a protein smoothie. And I'm going to like that. You're just setting yourself up for disappointment. But what if you could spend 10 minutes, the first five minutes, 
in some sort of quiet stillness, meditation, prayer, or something, five minutes, just writing down three things that you wanted to make sure to, to do to this day and three or four things that you didn't want to do. And there's a lot of practices I chronicle in the book, but I'm just for the most simple expression of that right here, right now, like five, 10 minutes to yourself at the beginning of the day can help not just shape that day, but shape your life. I think it's fantastic. This is so on target. I love it. Um, you have spent a lot of time with very successful people that are shaping the world. You've also encountered people that are, are really at the end of their rope. Um, they look at the cards in their hand. There's not a single face card. They don't know really where to turn. What, what would you advise somebody who just feels as though they're, they're out of aces, they got nowhere to turn, they're brick walled? Mm. First steps. Um, there is no replacement for taking care of yourself. And I'm a person who, uh, through a couple of specific um, instances in my life, had some tra trauma that created a PTSD and depression. Um, and I, I understand enough about it to comment. I'm not a physician. Take this advice with a grain of salt as you would anybody else on the internet. But what I know about it and what I know about feeling um, down is that it's, it's manageable let, let's qualify all of the actual chemical depressions. And I would want you to see a doctor, yes. but just when you're down on your luck and if it's not depression or something more serious, um, to me, basics, it's absolutely about the basics. And that is how can you spend your time? How can you, your mindset, this is another sort of very, um, common thread amongst top performers is that mindset matters. The words that you use to talk to yourself. And this is a brain. This is, this is a brain. It's not your brain. It might be in your skull, but it's a multi-million-year-old organ hmm. that's purpose in life is to allow you to survive. It's, its job is not to make you happy. So finding a way to make this organ, again, this isn't you. This is not your soul. This is this is an organ that you can put to work for you. And when you understand that this is a programmable thing and you are in charge of writing the programs and the scripts that it will run on, that that is a huge lever because most people, they think that they are their thoughts. That's part of the benefit of meditation is actually you start to have the ability to watch your thoughts mm -hmm. as something that your thoughts are not you. It's a very, you know, and, and so I would go to work on the most simple things in my life, like sleeping, trying to visualize positive things. And again, there's a really prescriptive roadmap in the book that I recommend um, that uh, eating well, even simply, and not a bunch of refined sugars and not, and this is like basic body mm. chemistry stuff. And, and do that in a sustained way and find out what works for you for programming your mind, whether it's meditation, mindfulness, prayer, visualization. Um, again, and, and I have, there's a meditation in the book. There's uh, some guide guidelines for some mindfulness, whatever your tradition, whatever you believe, like just very simply, uh, I'll, I'll reference a, I just recently sat down with the, author named Liz Gilbert. She, Oh yeah. Eat, pray, love. Yeah. Eat, pray, love. And Julie Roberts played her in a movie. She's got a book about creativity called big magic. 
Um, and her recent book is called City of Girls, which is an amazing novel about women in the 40s um, and how they basically claimed their own power because most of the men were off at war. Um, she said, my primary occupation is my mental health. Secondarily, I'm also a writer. And she's one of the best writers of our times, mm -hmm. just crystal clear. Like she is a absolute legend, but her number one job is her mental health. And she has certainly created a lifestyle for herself that allows for that. But even before that lifestyle was possible, she realized that that was her primary job. And that's what I would say to anyone who has, is in tough times right now is you are your tool. You are the bootstraps that are going to get you out of this aside from all the anything clinical that we've yeah, keep, keep caveating. Cause I want to acknowledge that. Absolutely. Um, but if it's just hard times, like you are so creative by nature. If you ask any first grader, any first grade classroom, who wants to come up to the front of the room and draw me a picture? Every single hand goes up. That is innate creativity. And, and it's the same creativity. It's not the one that's just going to play you a sonata. That's the thing that's going to help you get unstuck. That creativity, that combining and recombining ideas and plans and programs, that's what's going to help you move into the next phase, the next more positive, successful phase of your life. So acknowledging that, spending some time programming it and, and realizing that people like Liz Gilbert, who we all admire, she spends a huge part of her time taking care of herself. First, put your own oxygen mask on before assisting other passengers. Yeah, absolutely right. Change your oil once in a while or your engine will burn up and you'll learn the hard way. Yes. <laughs> it's a very expensive it is. It ends up being a very expensive mistake that when maintained, if maintained, could be very, very, very cheap. It's 20 bucks to get your oil changed and a new engine is... Thousands. Yeah, thousands of dollars. So, um, and the same is true for, for, for this thing right here. You know, we can learn to program this so it, it um, is in service of what we want, not otherwise. Perfect. I think on that note, Chase, we're going to encourage everybody to look for your book, it's called Creative Calling. Uh, I'm going to have one of the first signups for it because everything you're saying is resonating brilliantly with me. But also encourage people to look at creativelive.com. It's, it's beyond just for, uh, I shouldn't say just for, it's beyond for artists. It's, it's for anybody that wants to learn how to grow. Great information all over that. And Chase, your unselfishness and sharing your insights inspires me. And I know it's inspiring our audience as well. I wish you the very best. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, I'm inspired by the work that you do, by the community. And I think I, I hope you check out Creative Calling. I think it's, uh, it's a great match for, for uh, your audience. Good. We will definitely be doing that. Thank you again and best to you. Thanks very much. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.